turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We will someday be preaching on 1 Corinthians. It is the next book that we're to be studying. Uh, but we've just felt for the first several, six, seven weeks or so of uh, this year to hover on this one topic. And I think this might be the last message in the series. Uh, but the topic is uh, basically this. So the issue, at least, is this. How do you keep your, your life from getting stagnant? How do, you, how do you stay out of the spiritual doldrums? Um, how do you keep the, pa- <coughs> the passion alive? Not only alive, but <coughs> how do you keep it growing? Uh, growing in your love for God, your passion for God, your commitment to the Lord. Uh, that's the topic that we've been uh, dealing with. Last week, we dealt with um, uh, basically the, the need to get the tapeworm out of our life. Amen? And all of you are saying amen or okie-dokie to that, right? In fact, I thought of one, last week I was uh, dealing with the different ways that different people groups can say, you know, amen. And, uh, you know, for Norwegians they can say okie-dokie or okay then or you betcha. I forgot one. And this is like the biggest one. Yeah, sure. Oh, I didn't think of that one either. How about darn tootin'? Yeah, that's darn tootin'. <coughs> So if you want to say amen, but it doesn't come comfortable for words, you just how about darn tootin' or yashur. Okay, that, that will do it. So we saw last week, yashur, is that we got to get the tapeworm out of our life. And the basic point here is this. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy everything in our life that God wants to give us. We have to wake up to the reality of him being there, get angry at him, and take back what, what the enemy is trying to steal from us. And just getting involved in the war, we saw last week, is one of the primary ways that your life stays passionate. You, you, we're made to be in war, and when we take a permanent break from the war, we get stagnant, apathetic, mediocre, mishmash, good for nothing in the kingdom, kind of sterile, going through the motions, religious, standard American kind of Christianity thing. And we don't want to be that, right? Amen? So, get in the war, wake up to the reality of the war, get angry at the enemy, take back what he's trying to steal from you. Today, I just want to add one point to that whole thing, and it is this. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians 12 to drive home the point. You don't have to, you're not supposed to, do that alone. Rather, we do it in the context of the, of the body of Christ, the Christian community. And if we're going to stay passionate for the Lord, we need to stay involved in the body of Christ, the Lord's body. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. This whole passage, <clears throat> this whole passage is, is, is uh, profound on, on the body of Christ. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. And then when I get preaching on 1 Corinthians and, and we start getting more in depth, I'll go into more in depth on this passage. But right now, let's just look at verse 12 of chapter 12. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. No, so it is with Christ. Christ has a body. He's talking about Christ. And the thing you've got to know about Christ is that he's got a body. And the thing you've got to know about that body is though it's one body, it has many members. To unity and diversity. Verse 13, For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into the one body. One Spirit, one body, one people. Whether you're Jews or Greeks, whether you're slaves or free, and we could bring out every distinction you can think of there, it just doesn't matter. There's one body, one people, uh, who belong to one Christ, baptized into that body by one Spirit. And then he says, We were all made to drink of this one Spirit. So down in verse 26 he says this. He talks about how all the, the, the uh, parts of the body are important. Uh, one part of the body can't say to the other part of the body, I don't have need of you. The eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. The ear can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the toenail, I don't need you. We all need each other. The body is not whole unless all the parts are operating as they're supposed to operate. In fact, Paul says here in this passage that those parts that seem less important are actually more important. 
Precisely because they seem less important. So all the parts of the body are important. That's why in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. There's one body there. Now, you are, you are, the you there is plural, you, plural, are the body of Christ. And individually, you individually, you're members of that one body. The primary reality is the one body. The secondary reality that constituted is that we're all individually members of it. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, uh, like Norm, my lungs are filled with stuff that shouldn't be there. And uh, Lord, but I, I just take uh, encouragement in the fact that when I am weak, you are strong. Praise God. And uh, you're able, Lord God, if I were to go into a coughing spell for the next half hour, you could somehow find a way to use it to further your kingdom, and that's the only thing that matters. So, Lord, we surrender to you the whole responsibility for your word going forward here and accomplishing whatever you desire. We pray, Lord God, that you'd strengthen my lungs, Lord God, that I would not be coughing while I'm up here, Lord. Uh, we come against sickness and anything that interferes with the bodily process, process and rebuke it in Jesus' name. Praise God. Holy Spirit, be the great physician here and flesh out of my system anything that would try to obstruct me delivering the word as it needs to go forth here. And then, Lord God, we're praying that by the power of Your Spirit, You'd land on these words and make them Your words, Lord God, to transform us by the renewing of our minds, to make us the people that You want us to be. Father, I'm just so aware that we're coming against something very deep in our culture about American individualism here. And, Lord God, it, 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 we need Your anointing if that is to be broken in our lives. It's not by our might or by our wisdom or by our eloquence, uh, but it's by Your Spirit, says the Lord, that the mountains in our life are removed. Amen? And so, Lord God, we're praying that You would now remove the mountains by Your Spirit, using whatever is said and done here. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. We got together with our small group the other night, and we basically slobbered on one another, wouldn't you say? Yeah, get out of here. Small groups are supposed to be an encouragement, and do not take them as an example. Uh, <clears throat> But they are fun. Uh, we got together and Alex was hacking up uh, half of his lung and Julie was just sort of wiping her nose on everyone else's sleeve and it was just a mess because we're all sick. Everybody's sick. I, how many people here are sick? Or kind of sick? Okay, how many people here have been kind of sick in, 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 at some point in the last three months? See, look at this. Look at, look at this. This is Minnesota. What are we doing here, you guys? We should just move the whole state down to Southern California. I don't get it, but... Hey, oh, sorry, sorry. I, I, what, I'm, what I meant to say was, aren't you glad that you're here? I, this has been the worst, frankly, the worst uh, uh, winter I can remember in terms of just physically uh, being under this bug, this nasty demonic flu virus that's going around. And I don't know about you, but I can get a little ticked off at my body because it's not doing its job fighting off the bug. But I, this morning, want to submit to you that we ought to take a little bit of time and give thanks for our body and even thanks to our body for doing the fine job that it's doing. Uh, you know, you can learn the, the spiritual realm and the physical realm are quite a bit a lot like each other, and we can learn a lot about the spiritual realm by looking at things in the physical realm. So I want to, following Paul's example, look a little bit at our bodies here this morning. Let's check out our bodies um, and learn something about the body of Christ. I'm talking about the body of Christ here this morning, but I first want to focus on our physical bodies. One of the things, you know, two weeks ago I became sort of a, spe a specialist on tapeworms. So I can preach on tapeworms. Uh, this morning I want to talk about the immunity system. Uh, I've studied the immunity system all week, and so now I'm a specialist on that. Hallelujah. And I've learned some inc incredible things. Our bodies are incredible. They really are incredible. 
And they're incredible in just the, the way that the body of Christ is to be incredible. Here's what I mean. Let's say that you're in this elevator. It's a crowded elevator. There's 12 people there, and that makes you kind of ornery because you have a kind of claustrophobic tendency. You try to go to the third floor, but get there quick because you've been light, late throughout the last five days, and your boss is going to holler at you if you don't get there in a hurry. So you press, you press the number three button, but unfortunately, if people press the number one and number two button, so they keep on stopping, more people keep on getting out of there. They think it's more and more crowded, so you're getting more and more paranoid, and you're getting more and more worried that your boss is going to kill you when you get off the elevator. Bad day. To make matters worse, right next to you is this guy who's been sniveling and sneezing and wiping his sleeve all over the place. And he starts to wind up for one of these big, big honking monster sneezes. You know the type? They take about five minutes just to prepare for it. <laughs> you know how they are. And, uh, the kind that leave you so frustrated if you don't sneeze. Don't you hate that? Where you go, <laughs> and then it leaves you. It's like, ah! It's so unfulfilling. It's like... So unsatisfying. But this one, this one, uh, this one comes through. This guy winds up and unleashes a fury of viral activity in this crammed elevator. At a hundred miles an hour, this stuff comes out of his mouth. You know, and now now the elevator is filled with about ten million water particles, saliva particles, mucus stuff. What you got to know is that inside some of those, in fact, inside most of those, is a little thing. The thing that's making this guy sick is riding around in each one of those particles. This is a little virus. A virus. It's actually a paperweight with a smile, but we're going to pretend like it's a virus. So here it is. And this thing comes out. Okay, it's got a little, it's like a spaceship all around it. There's a little water spaceship, and it's riding along. This little demonic creature. It looks, uh, and it's looking for a new host. It's got to hurry up because it only can last about 30 seconds in the air. Otherwise, this little space bubble is going to evaporate and it's going to die, melt like the Wicked Witch of the West. So, it's looking for uh, a new host. Now, there's, there's millions of these things. Most of them land on your skin. And they die. Your skin, it turns out, I learned this week, is not... I always thought skin was like clothing that's there to make you look better because we look really ugly without it. Did you notice that? People without skin, eh, they don't get any dates. But you've you got to have skin. So... I thought it was there as kind of an ornament, but it's not there as an ornament. Biologists will tell you that, they, that this, is your, this is your first line of defense. This is armor we're talking about here. And, and these bugs, there's all sorts of germs right now, billions of different bacteria, germs and stuff, trying to get in to take over your body, or at least, you know, make it their body, and, and your skin's there to keep them out. And it does a pretty good job. So these things, they land here, ah, they die, you know, wherever they land on your body, they die. They can't get in unless they land on a scrape or an opening or whatever, and then they get in there, and then you got an infection, but you use some ointment and it gets out of there. So... Here the thing is going, it tries to get in your eyes, but you've got eyelashes to keep it out, and you've got a little saliva on your eyes so that it gets in the moisture of the system and goes down your stomach and it passes out that way. And, and, and wherever it tries to go, it tries to go in your nose, but you've got nose hair that says, no, get out of here, you don't belong here. And all these different, it's, it's trying to find a way in. But your body is miraculous in terms of its ability to defend against these foreign invaders that are constantly trying to, you know, get in on us. Well, one of these little critters in, in a little moisture spaceship is, is, is especially crafty. And he's flying around here, and he happens to go like this just as you're getting off to see your angry boss. You step out, and you sniff in, because you're a little bit nervous, you know, and, and it go, this one goes in your nose, but it avoids the nose hairs. You know, it's just like, it dodges here, it turns to the left, it outmaneuvers, it jumps over the nose hair, you know, it works its way down, and it gets into your throat, and then it falls apart. Okay. No, it has to operate fast because your body has these detectives that are constantly going all over the place finding out, are there any critters here that don't belong here? And this little bugger knows, he's smart, he knows that if he gets found, he's going to be incinerated immediately. So he burrows into your skin and finds a cell and then burrows into the cell. It's a demonic disguise, folks. He gets involved in the genetic structure of the cell. He just kind of makes himself part of the cell. And now when the cell replicates, it replicates. Isn't that demonic? And so this virus starts... 
you know, uh, expanding as your body expands. It's like a computer virus. Oh, that's where they got the term computer virus from, I bet, huh? Uh, it's like, there is a connection there. Yes, you get an email, you think it's in the, a normal email, you send it to 25 buddies, but there's a little virus in it that screws up your computer. And so as the mail spreads, it spreads. Well, that's how it is with these little viruses in your body. Now, a certain class of detectives in your system are pretty smart. They can't be out tricked by this virus. They see a cell. And this cell looks like a normal cell, but there's something off. There's a little bugger inside of there. And these detectives see that. This is a possessed cell. So immediately, these detectives, they, they come upon one and say, something doesn't look right here, something doesn't look right. He whistles for his buddies. His buddies come over, over and they confirm that there's something wrong here. They whistle for all these white blood cells to come, okay? And all of a sudden, this thing is surrounded by these white blood cells. That's how you get this inflammation going on. Okay, their job is to contain this thing. And they do a little bit of destructive work, you know, but they're not really that competent at that job. But they, they contain this thing, okay? And they go looking for others. Are there other places where we need to contain this possessed uh, cell here? And then somebody runs up and tells the bone marrow to start cranking up more white blood cells because we could have a potential problem here, Houston. And so we need to surround this, you know, with, with, with more of these things. Meanwhile, some of these guys are telling their friends, called these lymphokites, lymphokines, uh, that uh, go tell the nervous system to turn up the heat because one of the things we know will kill these viruses is heat. So they start cranking up the thermometer, which is how you can get all hot and sweaty and un uncomfortable. And which is why also you shouldn't be popping aspirins when you get all hot and bothered because um, you need that hot and bothered just to kill the viruses unless, of course, you're going to be losing sleep, in which case you need to sleep more. But there you go. Dr. Boyd speaks and you listen. All right. So uh, the lymphokines tell them to turn up the temperature. Other lymphokines run to a certain area of the body and they say, you know what, we need some specialists here because we might have a virus. So along come these things called the, uh, the T-cells. And there's two kinds. You've got these helper T-cells that are there to sort of scrape away and find out what kind of a virus there is. Now these guys are so aggressive, the body produces these suppressor T-cells. And the suppressor T-cells are there to keep the helper T-cells in check. Otherwise, they'll start devouring the whole body. So they're going, no, no, back off, back off. And they're saying, let me at them, let me at them, let me at them. But the whole thing's working pretty much like a, a, like a community should. Along come these, these uh, macrophiles, macrophages, macrophages, Ma macrophagy, Ma macrophagy, right? Macrophagy, macrophagy. These critters, their job is to eat away the, an the, the antigen on the, on the surface of, of the virus to really get on the genetic code to find out what kind of virus the, 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 it is. As they're getting close, they whistle to some other buddies who are called B cells. The T cells, the helper T cells, the suppressor T cells, the, 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 the macrophiles, they're all macro whatever they are, are, are working here. Along come the B cells. And these B cells now take a part of this whole thing and they, get, and they say, we've got to find the answer. We have to find the super specialist who can destroy this kind of virus. So they go around and, and, and try to find one of their buddies who's especially designed, this is the whole immunity system now, who has a memory of having dealt with one of these. And they have the genetic key to destroying these buggers. So they go around trying, you know, different things all over the place. And they finally find the one cell whose job it is to destroy that particular kind of virus. As soon as they find it, aha, the body says, gotcha. And he cranks out at 300 uh, cells per second all of these antibodies that are designed specifically to, to kill that particular, stro that particular virus. And now all mayhem breaks loose. I mean, the, the, these cells are being, uh, they replicate way faster than the viruses can replicate. These viruses are getting scared. saying, like, go to your life, go to your life. And they, they, these, the antibodies come and they destroy them, they pull them apart, they eat them, and oh, it's mayhem, it's warfare. The, the viruses beg for mercy, but no one shows any mercy. And in the end, your body wins and the flu loses. Hallelujah, praise God. Isn't that a neat kind of a thing? And then these macrophages, macropages, macrophiles, macro whatever they are, they hang around to eat the debris. 
Because if they didn't do that, you'd get sick all over again. So they, you know, they have the dirty job. They, they, eat, they eat the leftovers. What a system. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't believe in God, would you please explain how that all happens? Because you've got these little cells that somehow know who to communicate to, and it's, it's an incredible thing. And I simplified it about 10 billion fold. I mean, it's really much more co- complex than that. But what you need to see here this morning is this. Here's the point. And it comes out of 1 Corinthians 12. It comes out of the immunity system. In fact, you can look at any part of the body and, and find this. None of these cells, this is the beauty of it, none of these cells operates on their own. There are no Lone Ranger cells. Do you notice that? You don't find any avant-garde, entrepreneurial, sort of heroic cells that, you know, come in there with a cape and say, I'll defeat you, Flubug. You're mine. No, there are no Arnold Schwarzenegger cells. Uh, they all know. They all know that they need one another. So when the one detective finds it, he calls other detectives, and when the detectives find it, they whistle for the white blood cells, and the white blood cells come as a community and surround it. You don't find anyone taking on this virus all by themselves. Every part needs the other part. The helper T-cells need the suppressor T-cells. The, the, the T-cells need the B-cells. The B-cells need the macrophiles. The macrophiles need the lymphkins or lymphkites or whatever they're called. And the whole thing works together as a symbiotic, perfectly organized community sort of endeavor. And that's how you get the bug out of your system. And unless all those parts are working, if any one of those parts are not there, the bugger grows and grows and eats and eats and you die. A lot of the diseases that we have, like AIDS or whatever, happen because the system isn't working with all the parts. You can have 99% of the parts working, but one thing uh, doesn't work right. You don't have enough helper T-cells or something, and bam, you die from these things. The body of Christ is exactly that same way. We are not meant to do it alone. In fact, we can't do it alone. Which is exactly why the devil spends so much energy trying to deceive us to make us think that we can do it alone. It's really fascinating, but the New Testament has no real concept of an individual Christian. It doesn't discuss Christians individually. The only time you find individual Christians is when you uh, have like apostles or teachers or prophets or evangelists sent out into a new area to further the kingdom of God. But look, what, what do they do? They're, they're not out there sort of super Christians taking it on themselves. The first thing they do is they build community around themselves. Okay, they use the gospel to whistle for buddies and they go out and they build community around themselves. Point is this. We are the body of Christ and it means that we are meant to work together. It means we've got to work together. It means we have no alternative but to work together. It was to the church as a whole, not to individual Christians, that Jesus said, you shall storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. It was to the church as a whole, not just to individual Christians, not even primarily to individual Christians, that the Lord said, this is my paraphrase, you've got to attack the tapeworm, get angry at the tapeworm, and take back from the tapeworm what He's trying to steal from you. That's the job of the church as a whole. It was to the church as a whole that God gave the assignment to take back the world from the enemy who's trying to steal it from God. That's the job of the church as a whole. It's to the church as a whole that all the promises that are attached to Christians, are, are, are given. The church as a whole is called the beautiful bride of Christ. The church as a whole is called the spotless lamb. The church as a whole is called to be blameless and lovely in His sight. He's in love with the church as a whole. That's His bride. He's in love with the church as a whole. That's His ta- tabernacle. That's His temple. It's to the church as a whole that all these things are said. When the, when, when the epistles address Christians, it's almost always in the plural. You, plural, are called by God. You, plural, are destined by God. You, plural, are loved by God. Now, we are each individually as precious as we could be before God. But what we have to see, and this goes against so much of our culture, we've got to see that the primary reality is what we are when we're joined together. It's our joinedness, our relationality, our usness that glorifies the triune God who is loving relationship. Individually, we don't do it. 
We need to be connected with one another. And it's impossible for us to live passionate, vibrant, spirit-filled lives doing all for the kingdom of God, fighting the spiritual viruses that are attacking this world. It's impossible for us to do all of that if we're isolated from the body of Christ. We may think that we're doing as much as we can do as we're isolated and apart from any church body, but that's the devil deceiving you. That's like a cell trying to do its job outside of the, body, the physical body that you have. It just doesn't work. In other words, in other words, it's like this. The body of Christ, belonging to the body of Christ, belonging to the community of God is not an option. It's a mandate. It's a necessity. It's a metaphysical necessity for us if we're going to live and, and, and be all that God wants us to be. It is just as necessary for us to be connected deeply with the people of God. It's just as necessary for us to be connected with the people of God as it is for my cells to be connected to my body if they're going to be alive and do what cells are supposed to do. It can't happen otherwise. Now, you get a lot of Christians today who think that it is optional. Because we live in a culture today that says that the primary reality is me. The world revolves around me. And so if I want to do something, I'll do it. But if I don't want to do it, I won't do it. And it's up to me and everything's optional. You see, and so if, if you like church, you go. If you don't like church, you don't go. And if, you wanna, if you're lonely, then you get community. If you're not lonely, then you don't get community. And we think the whole thing's optional depending upon us. But I submit to you that the, nothing could be farther from the biblical truth. It's not optional. It's the primary reality. You are, if you're a believer, you are a member of the body of Christ. That's not by your choice. That's by God's design. And God calls you to live out that reality. Some people think... You get a lot of Christians today in America who think that they're either too holy or not holy enough for the church. You know, one or the other. Let me talk about the second group first, the group that thinks that they're not holy enough. You get people like this. It's like, well, I don't want to go there because all those people got their act together and they're holy and they're righteous and they pray and I don't do any of those things, so I don't want to go. And I feel bad for these people because a lot of times churches give that impression, don't they? And so like, we are the holy club. We are the arrived club. We are the got it together club. And when someone comes in and, and they're going through the divorce or the abortion or whatever, it's kind of a, like, kind of a look down you know, at them. Or they somehow pick up that, that, that message. And I just want to say this. I, I could have a whole sermon on this, but I just want to say this. You know, it really is sad when the church treats sinners as viruses because uh, uh, like they don't belong here because those are the future antibodies uh, of the body of Christ. Amen? Those are the warriors of the body of Christ. And we are all that. Amen? We are... The sinners that God is transforming into warriors. The only qualification you need to worry about at Woodland Hills Church or any church that understands itself in New Testament terms is this. It's the only qualification. It's not whether you're holy enough or not. It's do you recognize that you're not holy enough on your own? Do you recognize your need for Jesus Christ? Do you recognize that you can't get it together good enough to earn your way to heaven? Do you know that you need Jesus Christ and that you're a sinner? If so, man, you belong. You meet the qualifications. Yeah, you, 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 you hit the criteria just right. And the good news about that criteria is it's one that all of us do meet. The question is, will you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Then you're part of the body of Christ. Then there's this group that thinks that they're too holy for the body of Christ. And this is the weird group. I mean, this is, these are people who, it's kind of like this, and they don't say that they're too holy for the body of Christ. No one would say that, but they say things like this. You know, they go to this church and, and the people aren't friendly enough. So then they go to this church and the, the, the pastor doesn't preach good enough. And they go to this church and, and somebody said something and did something so they get angry. So then they go to this church and, and, and they don't have their missions program just right. So then they go to this church and they don't have their evangelism together. And then they go to this church and they're not big enough on, on the, helping the poor or whatever. And no church does it right for them, so they end up parking their spiritual rear ends at home. That's the last thing you should do. Hey, you know, it, it, here's the thing. 
And there's a lot of people out there like that. It's just like, well, we'll just, you know, watch Robert Schuler on Sunday morning and we don't need a uh, community because there's no community that's really good enough for us and, and they, they just disappoint us. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like this. That's like, that's, like, that's like an antibody in your system saying, I want to leave this body because there's, there's sickness here. Not very good thinking for an antibody, is it? The reason you need an antibody is because there is sickness there. So also, here's the application. Uh, it shouldn't surprise anybody that Wilden Hills Church, among other churches, is not a perfect church. You know why? It's filled with us. <laughs> and we are, I don't know, last time I checked, pretty imperfect people. Uh, it, it, the, the deal here is this. The church was meant for sinners. God loves to clean sinners up, and we're all in process of being cleaned up. But we are in process. We have not arrived. So the one thing I can guarantee you about Wilden Hills Church, I can guarantee you personally about my life, is that you're going to find a lot of imperfections. We don't do it all right. We say the wrong things, do the wrong things, don't do it on time, do it on time, but in the wrong way, or what have you. And it's going to be imperfect. But look at it, if it was a perfect church, you'd feel real out of place if you were here. Uh, you know? So get used to it. The point is this. This is, God wants to use us imperfect people working with one another to, to progress us all along. But to out of the system, because you think you're, you're too holy. You know, there are people out there who think, I, I've talked to several like this, who think that they're just too deep for the institutional church. These are sort of the Jesse Ventura Christians. Uh, who, uh, they don't need that kind of weak institutional thing where they get, oh, you have that little song and dance, and then you have a preacher, you know, and that's sort of for the immature Christians, but we study the deep things, we don't need that community. Well, you know what? If that was true, and I doubt it, it is true, but if it was true, then by all means, come along here and teach us your deep stuff. You know, uh, throw us the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Get involved. If you are that deep, and you ought to see that there are people who know, who need to know what you've got, so come around the community, help us out here. You know, teach or whatever. But the point is this. It's not an option. We need to, got to, have to get together as the body of Christ and manifest the unity that is already there in the spiritual realm. We need one another to work with one another, to, to, to feed off of one another, to grow together. And that's not an option. In a New Testament sense of the term, it's who we are, members of the body of Christ. Christ has a body. The body is composed of many uh, parts, and we are it. And we opt out, the whole thing falls apart. Well, it will stay together, but you're going to fall apart because you need the body. Now, there are different levels of commitment. I want to I bring this thing home by, by just talking about different levels of commitment and, and giving a couple challenges here. You don't mind being challenged, do you? You don't mind being challenged, do you? Okay. Okie dokie. Go ahead, give it to us. Darn tootin', challenge us. Okay, but it's like this. Level number one. We need to be together just like this. Now, I know we're crowded, and uh, my prayer is that in nine months we're not going to be nearly this crowded. Uh, amen? Uh, but we're crowded, so what? Sit on each other's laps if we have to. Praise God, look at the little kid. Um, don't, look at me. <laughs> Forget the little kid. But the, the thing is this, it is so necessary that we come together as a body. Do you know that, 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 you know, that there's a body that, that, that is a global body, that one church universal that is an organism throughout the whole world. And to God, God treats that as, as His body. But it's also the case that in each region, God treats every local church as a distinct body, as a distinct organism within the broader organism. All right? Um, if you read uh, Revelations chapter 2 and, and chapter 3, uh, what you find there is that God addresses the church of Laodicea, the church of... I've got to run in the aisles now. Hallelujah. That uh, um, uh, He treats them as, as individual churches. As indi- okay, pause. Everyone look at the cute baby. Ah! It's a very... Yeah, it's a very cute... Now look at this cute face. <laughs> I want the attention on me. <laughs> no. 
God treats them as individual organisms who have responsibility for each other. The point is this. Woodland Hills Church is, is, is one body. It's an organism. It has a unity. And we need to manifest that. Coming together and hearing the Word of God, coming together and worshiping like we do on the weekends, this is our way of celebrating, of, of magnifying, of, 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 of uh, enjoying the unity that we have in the spiritual realm. And it needs to be there. This is why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We need to get together and, and do that. It's an important thing. Now, a lot of people who come on the weekends, I understand that you, you're committed to your own churches. You have other churches. You come here once a month or once every two months because you just like the variation or it gives you a kick or whatever. And praise God, we want to be of service to the broader kingdom of God as much as we can. So we're glad that you're here. But I would encourage you to be then involved in whatever church God calls you to more than once a month or more than once every two months. Get involved there more. If we can help you and you walk, fine. But be plugged in wherever God calls you to be plugged in. But be plugged in. And for those who are called to Woodland Hills Church, I want to challenge you to make this a commitment, not an option. Like if you, if you have enough time, enough spare time, or if you're awake enough or whatever, you'll make it to church. It really is important. It's a mandatory thing that we get together and celebrate as, a, as the one body of Christ that we are. So the first level is just for the body, for the cells to be inside the body. Make that a commitment. There's a time... There's a time where you're searching where God wants you. You shop around and some of us are in that situation. And that's okay. Just don't get addicted to that. Find a place and get plugged in. A place where you're committed. A place where you have buy-in. A place that is no longer an option for you. For your sake, if not for their sake, uh, get plugged in. Secondly, second level of commitment is when you're not just there and, and, and are a spectator, but you actually start participating in the life of the church. Every cell, everything in your body is there for a reason. Um, it serves a purpose. It is not just a receiver, it's a giver. Now, we American Christians tend to see the church like we see everything else. Uh, we're the consumers, it's the product, and we want you know, a certain product at a certain price, and it's about us. And so we treat church sometimes like we treat Kmart or McDonald's or Target, and, and you know, it's just it's sort of, uh, we go there and we receive, and, and that's what it's really all about. I just want to tell you this, from a New Testament perspective, that is, that's half the truth, but it's not the full truth. You are supposed to receive. You should be blessed in the body of Christ. You should be, you know, enjoy the body of Christ. But that isn't the primary purpose for you being in the body of Christ. The primary purpose for you being in the body of Christ is to contribute to the body of Christ. Our culture creates a bunch of receivers. But the Bible says we should not only be receivers, but givers. Every cell in my body receives something from the body as a whole, but it gives back to the body as a whole. And it's only healthy to the degree that it does that. If the cells in my body started just being receivers, or even if a certain percentage of the cells in my body started being just receivers, my body would collapse. I need the cells to all be giving. Alright? So it is in the body of Christ. Being committed to being there is level number one, but being committed to plugging in in some way, using the gifts that God gives you, is necessary for you to be healthy and for the body of Christ to be healthy. We need every part of that. A lot of times people think that they don't have much to offer. You know, just don't have a whole lot to give. It's just the talented people that get the job done. And that is just not true. It's not true physically. It's not true spiritually. I used to think, for example, I used to think that nose hairs were an utterly superfluous part of my body. Probably a lot of you thought that too, didn't you? That my nose hair are a superfluous part of my body. But you know what? See, in here, here's what happened. Uh, you know, when I was 35, I, I started growing, all of a sudden this hair started coming out of my nose. And it really bugged me. I mean, I remember I developed a phobia about nose hairs from being playing four years with a certain baseball coach who had these long four-foot deals coming out of his nose. And I vowed I would never grow up to be like that. I mean, they were just gross. Uh, and sometimes they had company, if you know what I mean. Uh, it was just bad. So I got a bad picture. First, last week's tapeworms, this, were, this week's boogers. You know, it's gonna, you know, 
But hey, you remember the analogies. So I, I, I can't stand nose hairs. So I start clipping them. The trouble is, is you've got to clip them about every three days. These nose hairs grow really fast when you turn them over 35. Um, and, and I don't like to spend too much time trying to groom my body. And it just bugs me. That's why I got, you know, a couple of years ago I had a ponytail. It just was too much work. You've got you to comb your hair, for goodness sakes. I mean, and then you've got to blow dry. You've got to put conditioner on and all this other fancy stuff. I just want a hairstyle where I can just go... And it's done. You know, and that's, that's as much time as I want to take on it. So here's these nose hairs driving me crazy because every three days I've got to clip them where I look like my coach from fourth grade. So I start plucking the things. <laughs> oh, man, it hurts. I get these tweezers. It's like... Gah! Gah! But I'd buy myself a good six to eight weeks, you know. It's like, oh, it hurts like the dickens. But, uh... uh yeah. It's like... Well, then I'm talking to this friend of mine who's a barber, and he's cutting my hair, and he says, hey, would you like me to clip those nose hairs? And I was like, oh, they're back. No, don't bother. When I go home, I'll just pluck them. And, and he about had a bird. Pluck them? You, you can't pluck your nose hairs. Uh, that's like some kind of a sin. He says, don't you, notice what those, don't you know what those nose hairs do? Those things, man, they, they, they keep all these germs from going into your system. Uh, they're fighting off, you know, all sorts of invaders for you. You need those things. They are your help and all that kind of stuff. So when you pluck them, you not only lose their help, you open up a little hole in your nose for those little things that they're supposed to be protecting against to get in. And people who do this get sinus infections and nose gets big and red and pussy and all sorts of stuff. And you can even get brain damage from that, he tells me. <laughs> Two years late, you know, it's like... That explains a lot, doesn't it? But the point here is this. Uh, you know, nose, ever since then, I've had a different perspective on, on, on uh, nose hairs. You know, I, I've looked at nose hairs from both sides now. And, uh, <laughs> and still somehow it's nose hairs illusions that I recall. I really do like nose hairs after all. Uh, <laughs> where'd that come from? <laughs> the point, you know, these are healthy things, see? They're healthy things. Don't see them as being obnoxious. They're very, very necessary. Now, there are jobs in the body of Christ that are sort of nose hairs jobs. You know what I mean? Uh, they're not the most attractive things in the world, and no one really you know, notices them until they get unattractive. Uh, but you know what? Without those things, the, the, the rest of the body cannot say to the nose hairs, I have no need of you. And nose hairs can't say to the eyebrow hairs, I have no need of you. Or any follicle you might want to mention right now. We need the whole thing. So also in the body of Christ, you've got gifts and stuff to give to the body of Christ. And I would encourage you, you know, someone's got to fold the folders. Someone's got to set up. Someone's got to tear down. There's all sorts of stuff that needs to be done. Get plugged into the body of Christ. Whether it's under the official umbrella of the church or not, you are a minister of the gospel. You're equipped to do ministry. Be part of this body and carry out your ministry here if this is where God calls you to be. The final thing, and I'll just mention it quickly, um, is, is this. Uh, the third level, the third level of buy-in and community that needs to be happening. It's much more difficult than the first two. And the first two are difficult, especially the, number, the second one. But the third one's even more difficult. And that is this. We need people that we not only worship alongside of, people that we not only minister alongside of, but people who we live life alongside of. We need people who, who know us, who keep us accountable, who demonstrate Christ's inc- incarnational love to us. Now, you can't have a lot of people like this in your life. You'll die if you do. Uh, but you need two or five, maybe up to eight or so, uh, of people who really know you, you live life with. One way to do this is through small groups, and we try to facilitate that, or it may just be friendships that you have. But there needs to be people with whom you are intimate, with whom you hide nothing. 
Uh, here's the main context where the one another's of the New Testament get played out. Uh, where, where the love of John 17 gets played out. You need to have that in your life. I, for a long time, didn't think I needed that. I was actually, uh, I have a real antisocial tendency in me. People think I'm like Mr. Extrovert and whatever, but uh, I, I'm not. I, I, when I first got married, I and mean, this caused a lot of marriage problems, because my wife would always want to go to, you know, get-togethers and co- couple friendships, whatever, and I wanted to stay home and read. I, I, I was a book addict. I was a bookworm. I'm just one of these eggheads who like to keep my nose in the book. And, and books are so much more easy than people, you know. And they, books never misunderstand you. And books don't take up that much time. And books you can close whenever you want to close. And, and books have all this interesting theological, philosophical stuff. And, and you know, bo- I like books. Books are safe. Books never, never you know, accuse you of anything. So I, I, would, I love these books. And my wife would have to drag me to be with these people. Um, you know, and it was just not a very pleasant thing. Well, I learned, I've learned the last, you know, really since Woodland Hills came into existence, that we all do need people like that in our life. In fact, that's not just a duty, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I've come to love my small group. I just love it. Look forward to it all the time. It takes, it's taken a long time to get where we're at, but I, we have a small group now that is, I think, functioning like a healthy, a very good, healthy Christian community. We do warfare together. This is one of the things for, for close friendships, to pray together. When one person is sick, you know, there's a little invader in, in their life, we gather around like a bunch of white blood cells and, and, and get at it, you know, and get at the antigen and, and, and start, you know, praying and doing warfare there. If they got a spiritual bug, and we get those sometimes, don't we? Uh, some confusion in your life, you're just kind of distraught, you're screwed up in your head or something. Well, we come around there and we pray and we all to talk and we hold each other accountable. A lot of good stuff. But a person's going through a bad time in their marriage like all of our marriages do. You're there to ride out the bumps. And you know what? We're not a bunch of professional therapists and we say the wrong things and we do the wrong things. And you know, there's no manual you can really follow on this stuff. But you're there for the long haul. And sometimes it's pleasant and sometimes it's not pleasant. But you learn to live life like that. You do warfare together. We worship together. Every other week we get together, we, we have a time of worship and, and we study a, either the Bible or a book about the Bible or whatever. And we learn together. We do ministry together. Uh, the Ericsons took on a, uh, this uh, Providence Ministries in Haiti. So we all took on that. We pool our financial resources and fund that. And sometimes we pool our financial resources and support a family. Or sometimes we, we pool our financial resources and support one another. One person loses a job, they don't, they don't miss a beat. We pool our resources and we support that family until the guy can find another job. That's what the, the Bible means in the book of Acts when it says no one had uh, want of anything. They had all things in common. It's when one person had a need, they were there, they saw it, and, and you move in and fill that need. Uh, when one person has a job to do, we all do the job. We raise each other's kids, you know. We're, we're involved in, 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 in those ways. Doing ministry together. We learn from one another. There's different perspectives. One of the main things that, keep, that make a Christian life stagnant, boring, mediocre, apathetic is that you're not plugged in to the life of other believers. You never get challenged. You never see things from other people's perspective. Uh, you know, you, you don't grow in different ways. We need to have that in our life. Small group communities. People that we just love and are committed to and are on the inside of our skin, who visit us in the hospital and know our birthdays and whatnot. Now, now how do you go about that? It doesn't happen easy. It doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes just by chemistry. You know, people just don't mesh chemistry-wise. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a non-Christian thing. That's, that's a normal thing. It's like these aren't going to be the inside people for you. But we need to be moving in that direction. Let me just close with a couple of, of little words of advice. Number one, I wish right now I could say... Okay, so call this number and we'll plug you into a small group. And if that doesn't work out, we'll plug you into the next small group and we'll walk with you until you are fully plugged into a small group where you're living life like, 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 like this. I wish I could say that, but I can't. Uh, what we found is this. We need, you need a lot of structural support to maintain these small groups. When you don't have small groups, when you're trying to start them from scratch and you don't have enough educated leaders to help it out, these things last six hours sometimes, six weeks sometimes, six months maybe, but a lot of them don't go beyond that. They just sort of fizzle and, and whatever. 
So we're putting in place uh, a superstructure uh, to, uh, to keep these groups healthy. And right now we're maxed out. What we need is this. We need mature Christians. If you've been a Christian for 10 years or so or more and have some small group background experience and, and are a personable person, we need you as a leader. It doesn't require a lot of time, but boy, it really will pay dividends in the body of Christ. So call Sandra if, if you believe that you have that leadership capacity. And a little bit of training and, and we'll get you going. That's what we need right now for the small group stuff here at Woodland Hills Church. We do have small groups you can plug into, but, I, but we can't have a mass you know, uh, influx of that. The system just won't support it. Having said that, there's a lot of things we can do. And just let this land on you a, 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 as you will. For one thing, take the friendships you have now and invest in them like it was your church. Uh, pray together with, with, with the people. Do ministry together. Uh, maybe go on a missions trip together. Uh, study the Bible together. You, you don't need a professional sanctioning to make this happen. Just start investing in the relationships that, that you already have. Uh, another thing is this. Uh, begin to explore the possibility of greater buy-in at Woodland Hills Church. It's a great t- way to meet people. You go to a Discover Woodland Hills class. Uh, and then you go to a Discovering Covenant Relationship class. Maybe become a covenant partner here at Woodland Hills Church. Uh, it gives you a sense of solidarity with other people. And out of those groups can maybe come more intimate relationships. Here's where you find your gifts. You find out what you're called to do. You get plugged in and things begin to happen as they're supposed to happen. So explore the possibility of having more buy-in. Check out a Discover Woodland Hills uh, class um, uh, here in, in, in the near future. Another thing is this. Look for opportunities to meet other people here at the church. Um, we have special events all the time. You know, we have this 50s dance coming up. Go to this 50s dance. It's a blast. Uh, you know, it's just a great time to meet people. The Rockin' Hollywoods are here. We're just going to have a fun time. We can laugh at Norm as he tries to dance 50s. It's really funny. And, uh, it, you know, it, just be a part of this. It, it's, it's, it's a good way to meet people. You don't know what will come of that. But this is good for us to get together. Church picnic.